For many years now in the Catholic Church, uh, when a couple is preparing for marriage, they take something that's called the focus test or focus instrument. And basically it includes a series of statements that they have to uh, individually respond to, either by saying that they agree with the statement, they disagree with the statement, or they're uncertain. And one of the statements that's on that instrument is this. I value keeping the peace at any price by avoiding arguments and confrontation. Now, is it right to agree or disagree with that statement? Actually, disagree is the right answer. Disagree is the right answer. Now, you shouldn't you know, fight about small things, petty things, matters of opinion or preference, but when it comes to matters of truth and justice, uh, it is necessary to have an argument, to have a confrontation. If a family member is doing something seriously wrong, we have to bring it up, even if it might hurt their feelings or lead to an argument. In the Gospel today, Jesus says, I have not come to bring peace on the earth, but rather division. Now, how do we reconcile what he says in today's Gospel with other times when he tells his apostles that his gift to them is peace? Or he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Well, he distinguishes at one point between the peace that he gives and the peace of the world. The peace that he gives is authentic peace. It is the peace that comes from living in harmony with the will of God. The one who accepts and loves Jesus is reconciled to God. The peace of the world is merely an absence of conflict. And that can exist, for example, in a totalitarian society. Right? There's no conflict because the government controls everyone and everything and commits violence against anyone who opposes it. Think of China. Our first reading describes one of the travails of Jeremiah. Sometimes he is called the weeping prophet. Indeed, some of his sufferings are expressed in the book of Lamentations. And Jeremiah was called by God from a young age to tell Judah, to tell Jerusalem, that they were going to be destroyed by a chastisement from God for their unfaithfulness. In particular, they had been worshiping Baal, an idol, a false god, perhaps a demon even, and even sacrificing their children in worship of Baal. And so when Jeremiah preaches this message, often he is opposed and persecuted. He went through such difficult times at one point, he says, I just want to stop. I just want to live a quiet life. I don't, I don't want to endure this opposition any longer. And then he says, though, but the word of God is like fire in my bones. And I have to let it out. It's like what Jesus says today, that he has come to the earth to cast a fire, how he wishes it were blazing. That the proclamation of the kingdom by Jesus is a refining and purifying fire, which provokes a strong reaction. Either it becomes a passionate love within those who are converted, or a passionate hatred by those who resist it. Jesus says that even in the family, in the household, there will be division. Parents and children will be divided. And indeed, this is something that the early Christians experienced. Those, many of them who converted from Jewish households were disowned, uh, even denounced. And similar things would happen also for those in the Roman culture. And interestingly, you know, Romans practice a kind of multiculturalism. 
they were happy that you could worship your gods, and they just said, okay, just add one god to your pantheon of gods. But Christians wouldn't do that because they knew those gods weren't real. And so they worshiped Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and would not, for example, burn incense to Caesar or other Roman gods. And because of this, many of them were martyred. But after a while, Christianity triumphed in the West. In fact, the whole society became Christian. Was there any need anymore for this kind of prophetic witnesses, witness that causes confrontation? Well, yes, that would happen many times because people were not fully disciples of Jesus. They became very lukewarm. And so what God would do is he would raise up saints like St. Benedict of Nursia, like St. Teresa of Avila, Ignatius of Loyola, or Francis of Assisi, and if you read carefully the biographies of the saints, they were greatly op opposed. And they were persecuted, oftentimes even by bishops within the church. They were on fire with love for God and for others. As our society has become so opposed to God, if you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you should expect that you will be hated in some way. For example, when we profess that the unborn are human beings with the right to life, we will be hated. I think in the month of June, there was something like 30 attacks on pregnancy resource centers, including fire bombings. Now, you know what pregnancy resource centers do. We, we support one in Poway. They provide medical care, diapers, all kinds of support to women who are pregnant. And some of the vandalism on these centers was if, if abortion isn't safe, neither are you. Right? So, so this is a kind of, it's almost an incomprehensible kind of hatred. When we profess other things and live by that profession, so that, that marriage is a union of a man and a woman, that there are two sexes. When we profess the social teachings of the church about living wage and preferential options for the poor, so in a very practical way, if you are following Jesus, you can expect this kind of confrontation. Like when your cousin invites you to his second wedding, and his first wife is still alive, and it was a valid first marriage, and you don't go. When your boss asks you to lie, and you refuse. When someone tells a vulgar joke, and you don't laugh or smile. For our young parishioners, when you defend the awkward kid at school who's getting bullied, or you choose to spend time with the unpopular kids. When you're visiting your family on a Sunday and you explain to them you have to leave for a couple hours to worship God. When you tell your kid's soccer coach that you can't participate in the tournament because it would mean missing mass. We must be willing to be hated for the gospel. Now, sometimes when we stand up for the truth, actually it will turn out better than we expect. When I was in law school, I was on uh, what's called the Law Review. It's a journal that reviews and publishes articles about the law. And the editor of the journal decided to send an email to everyone telling a joke, which involved the President and the Blessed Virgin Mary, and I only will tell you it was a blasphemous joke. And for me, it was personal. It was about the honor of the mother of God, but also my mother. So I re 
I had to first compose myself a bit and I sent her a reply all explaining what was wrong with the joke and surprisingly I got an apology the next day. So sometimes it works out like that. Sometimes it might not. Sometimes we don't know. We don't know what the short-term effects will be. We don't know what the long-term effects will be. We have to trust in God that when we're faithful to Him, that He works all things for the good. I talked recently with a parishioner whose young adult daughter is deciding to move in with her boyfriend. And she's heartbroken by this. And she's not supportive in any way. In fact, um, to the contrary, she's been very clear with her daughter this is a huge mistake. And so there's a rupture in their relationship, but it's not caused by the mother's disapproval. Rather, it's caused by the daughter's sin. And this is also important for us to understand within the church, that we may sometimes need to engage in confrontation, argument, even with the leaders in the church. Part of the reason that the sex abuse crisis was so bad and went on for so long is that many people had this mentality of preserving peace at all costs. Well, we don't want to cause a big scandal. We don't want to cause a big confrontation. Because that many, many young people suffered greatly. So there are times when our faithfulness to Jesus and his gospel will result in a confrontation and division. And we are, we are inspired by what in the second reading that the author of the Lord of Hebrews says, a cloud of witnesses. He just went on describing the, the heroes of the Old Testament. And how much more do we have now in 2,000 years of the age of the church? So many heroes that we can look back on their lives and see their bravery and their faithfulness to God. And we're told, you know, you've suffered maybe a little, but not, not to the point of shedding blood. Right? Jesus also promises that our fidelity will be rewarded. Maybe we'll be alienated from family members because of this. But he promises us even a better family. He says his, his relatives are the ones who do the will of his Father in heaven. And he promises even the kingdom to us. Blessed are those persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God.